0: Hello and welcome to yet another instalment of our Nucleus Wealth Insights series. Just a quick reminder that the following presentation is general information only and does not take into account your personal circumstances. Whilst Nucleus Wealth aims to present informing and sometimes entertaining content, please consult your investment professional, financial advisor or better yet speak to us before making any decisions based on any of the themes discussed in today's presentation. Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. We're in for a treat this week as we meet long time friend of macro business and popular economist Dr Cameron Murray who we managed to catch on a rare trip down to Melbourne for a keynote address. Cameron's done some extensive work in helping to uncover the often opaque world of public and private relationships in his book The Game of Mates and has recently released a report looking into affordable housing policies. In today's interview, we cover off on some of the key themes discussed by Cameron in his publications and then look at some of the wider investment implications that we can then leverage in how we invest money every day at Nucleus Wealth. Join Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Classen, our Chief Economist, Leith van Onselen and myself as we chat all things Game of Mates with Cameron Murray. I trust you enjoy. We have uh, Dr Cameron Murray. Cameron is an economist and consultant who specialises in property markets, environmental economics and corruption. He teaches at the University of Queensland, blogs at fresheconomicthinking.com and is co-author of last year's breakout book, The Game of Mates. Uh, We're here at the Brunswick Mess Hall and uh, Cameron's the keynote speaker for Prosper Australia's 127th Henry George Commemorative Dinner. Uh, welcome to Nucleus Investment Insights, Dr. Cameron Murray.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so just a quick one just to get us started. Uh, so we're here with, uh, with Prosper, or you're here as a keynote speaker for Prosper. Um, would you like to just give us a little bit of background as to uh, why, why you're here, why you're down in Melbourne and, and away from the sunny uh, Brisbane climate?
1: <laughs> well, we're here tonight to talk about housing. And uh, the main thing I want to uh, tell people today is we've got housing wrong. We've been trying to think about improving housing affordability by making little tweaks to the market price and saying, well, everyone has to pay the market price. But in other parts of the economy, we don't do that. If we want cheap healthcare, we don't tell people, oh, you know, we've got to tweak the market price, open up supply. What we do is say, hey, we're going to just create a massive public system and anyone who needs it can show up and get free healthcare. That's how we make healthcare cheap. But in housing, we just won't take that extra step and say what kind of system can we create at a, at a sort of social level that makes housing cheap. We're sort of tied to this market price and it's not gonna get us anywhere. At best, some of the people who talk about you know loosening supply, they're talking about building 50,000 extra houses per year for 10 years so that's going to take you know, 2% of the workforce away from what they're doing to building extra houses, uh, which is about the workforce of Canberra every single year for 10 years, and we're going to maybe get 10% lower prices. Wow. Yep. That's sort of the best we're aiming for. Now, I think we can do a fair bit better, and tonight I'm going to be talking about how we can tomorrow reduce the cost of housing by 40 to 50% in one go now and i'm not going to i need to be clear here it's not about reducing the market price of housing by 40 percent. i'm talking about creating an alternative system like the public health system where we allow access to people for a cheap price and i think that's where we need to start thinking and no one's talking about that except surprisingly the guys at prosper and now me
0: (laughs) okay yeah sure thing uh, and so I take it this is um, the basis or the um, the contents of your new report that you've got out called The Unspoken Alternatives for Expe- Expensive Housing, is that right? Yeah, that's,
1: that's right. I yep. mean, that's the whole point of the report is we don't talk about this stuff. We talk about the ineffective things. And the report goes into a lot of detail about um, these types of systems that exist. For example, in the ACT, they sold uh, nearly 80% of the new dwellings in one year to people in an alternative land rent scheme, where they saved around 37% compared to renting on the housing costs, wow. and not only that, they had the security of tenure for life. So you couldn't kick them out and put the rent up next year. So that's a massive improvement. That's you know f- almost four times better than this 10-year ambitious scheme of devoting the work- entire workforce of Canberra to building extra housing.
2: Yeah, but but which vested interest there's not a vested interest that's profiting from that is there yeah (laughs) yeah you're
1: right no vested interests are the problem and i think to be honest the the way we talk about housing affordability has been dominated by vested interests and and i think this by sort of letting the market go as it is and creating a parallel alternative way to access housing sort of Gives people that freedom to go. Oh, this is not going to affect me. You know, my investment's safe. My house is safe. That's just some alternative thing. Yep. You know, private health insurers still make a lot of money, even though we have a public system. So the whole idea is to just give that new alternative, and to sort of sidestep that criticism or that political um, logjam of, geez, if we decrease housing prices by ten percent, that's uh, seven hundred billion dollars of wealth we're just going to wipe off the seven and a half million highly influential voting homeowner households. Yeah. All what want, if we sidestep that? want more affordable that? houses,
2: nobody wants slower house prices. So. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> and so
1: I, I really think it's important to think about how to sidestep that and say, hey, we don't want to affect your investment in your house. We're just gonna start another thing over here on the side. Your investment is safe. You get seven million happy people, I yeah. think, Trying to sell that as a way to get cheaper housing, then I'm going to, you know, essentially reduce your assets by twenty percent. You know, that's yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars out of your pocket, yeah. um, and that's a political, you know, politically terrible move.
0: Um, just just while we're on the um, the topic of the property, uh, I was just referring back to your uh, last year's book, the the game of mates, um, and uh, the discussion between uh, James, who <laughs> is the uh, I guess the the, the the entity in charge or the, the mate in charge He's of the, the mates. the connected yeah. insider, that's yes. Right. Um, and then versus, of course, Bruce, which is uh, what appears to be everybody else. The, the Bruce the, is the everyman, actually true.
1: named after my uncle, who is uh, one of the most Aussie people I know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a
0: bit of insight. Um, I, I guess the the, the part, the point I was trying to, uh, I guess, get to was the the existence of these grey gifts that are inside of the, pro- particularly property zoning and, and, and the way that that... Influences, you know, um, areas that are obviously um, looked at for investment, and then they get rezoned. Whoever owns the land gets the bulk of the the uplift, yeah. um, and it's not shared through. And you've just to, just to use as a, an example, you've used the um, Australian Capital Territory as potentially a, uh, a, an area where they may have solved that. Was that right, have I got that right? Yeah,
1: or... that's right. So the property market is all about getting political decisions in your favor and then banking the capital gains that come from that. So rezoning, if your plot of land is uh, allowed to be used for a single dwelling, a, a house, and then some, some uh, bureaucrat or politician draws a line on a map and says, you can build a 20 storey apartment building, immediately you get that additional right for free. You don't have to pay for it. Now, we know it's a grey gift. It's a political giveaway because, uh, for example, in Sao Paulo and Brazil, you have to go to the government and buy at an auction what are called Certificates of Additional Development Potential. Okay. So if you have the right to build a single-unit dwelling, you have to pay for every additional square metre of apartments you want to build on that house, and you go and you bid at an auction. So we know it's something we could sell. Mm. The ACT avoids it because they... They charge essentially a tax as 75% of the market value of the gain. So, if your property goes from being worth 1 million to 5 million because you've got this big plot of land that you've got your small house on, and now you can subdivide or put two apartment towers on, you've got to pay $3 million to the government if you want to get the approval to do that. Because that's, you know, you could get get that right and turn around and sell it and just bank the full million in your pocket. Now, we as a community should be getting that instead of giving it away. The big selling point is that uh, once you take that giveaway out of the hands of those planners and those political decision makers, then you might get planning based on, you know, principles of housing, uh, transport, town planning, livability, because it's not about who gets millions here, who gets millions there. It's about who gets a few hundred thousand. It's, it's, it's a smaller political game.
0: Yeah, yep. Well, that makes sense. And I guess well, just finally, though, obviously that, that makes sense. It, it makes really good sense, I guess, economically and on paper and, and, and for the greater good. However, um, what do you see as the biggest obstacle in trying to, to, to you know, convert, say, the New South Wales government and the Victorian government to a system like the ACT where it appears to be working reasonably well?
1: Um, uh, the property industry. Okay. <laughs> the <laughs> I <main>. mean, the <laughs> land development industry. i give you an example in Queensland... Um, Queensland was worried about affordable housing, so they said we're going to create a statutory body that's going to take control of planning from the councils in certain key areas. We're going to fast track approvals. We're going to increase density. The guy they hired as the CEO of that statutory body was a former development manager for Lendlease who'd been lobbying to get his his company's land rezoned. You know, this agricultural land to rezone so he can build sixty thousand apartments, uh, houses on it. He becomes the CEO of a statutory body, turns around, rezones, lend, leases, land surprise, surprise. gifts them millions of dollars. Okay, He spends 10 years in this body, and then when he leaves, he now works for Stockland, another developer that he rezoned, or his group, you know, the statutory body rezoned, and handed million dollars of windfall gains. Now, these people, that's just one example. There's a whole network of people who are politically net- connected. Who's who uh, run on trading these favors and give, be, taking turns in having that power to make millionaires out of their mates. Uh, so unless the rest of the community can get organised enough uh, and, and leverage you know, key elections, um, take hold of that media debate and say, "Hey, this is a giveaway. It's worth 11 billion a year, which is what I calculate." Mm. You know, wedge wedge the politicians in the corner and, and try and get that leverage. That's what we need to do.
0: And so when you say which the politicians, a platform for, for someone to be elected would be, what, putting some legislation in place that stops this sort of ability to bounce in and out of the private and public arena? or Well, yeah, both. Yeah. Firstly,
1: having to charge the value of the gains from zoning and secondly, better cooling off periods and... Um, lockouts. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> lockouts. I mean, in yeah. Queensland, we have the bizarre situation. We have, a, I think, a three-year cooling off period for politicians to become professional lobbyists. But um, a professional lobbyist is a very particular independent consultant lobbyist. You can be an in-house lobbyist for a large company the day after you quit politics. And most of the planning ministers in Australia, we've seen Anna Bly jump over to the Bankers' Association, which is actually an industry group and not a lobby group. Mm. So there's no no, uh, problems there. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to do. Now, thankfully, the Victorian Greens are now looking into... This uh, this tax on the, the value the Queensland Greens have adopted it Sustainable Australia, mm. uh, the national uh, political party they've adopted that so um, you know it's it's resonating, um, but I, I feel like the major parties are going to be a, a tough the tough of money sell. Is against you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. But you know, uh, I, I'd like to think that talking about the, the dollar value of giveaway is really good leverage mm. for taking charge of the public debate on this. You know, they can talk about, oh, we need housing supply or whatever. You can go, fine, rezone as much as you want. Just charge for it, Mm. I don't care. Yep. yeah, yeah,
2: fantastic. Okay, very good. Anything from an investment standpoint, Damien? Yeah, that's where I wanted to leave this. was Well, I've got actually a bunch of ones. So, so Gamer Mates, and that's part of doing this, Gamer Mates, you, you went into a few industries and the ones i picked on in particular are property developers, infrastructure, banks, mining, energy, and super. As, I don't know, we've got telco, which you didn't really talk about, but I've, I've got that as one of the, the back. And so, because where I wanted to approach this from is, um, I've got a similar view <coughs> about what makes an Australian company successful. Is that if, if you want to be a successful Australian company, you want to have your mates and you want to have um, a nice, cozy oligopoly or a nice, cozy duopoly, and <coughs> you get to make, you know, out, out come the rewards. And so, what you want to find, what, what, we're always looking for is which are the companies, which are the sectors where they are starting to go through the transition and which are the ones where they're not. <clears throat> so which are the ones where you're starting to open up the competition. And, and a good example recently was um, well, over the last few years we've seen uh, in the telco space, um, you know, we had a relatively cozy sort of uh, oligopoly of um, Vodafone, um, uh, Telstra and Optus and crashed, we had a, an outcome outside of crashed the party in TPG Prices came flying down. Down went all the prices. Now we're looking at a merger, and you know Telstra's up. I think twenty percent ish in that in that range over the last little while because everyone's sort of like, phew, we're back to a nice <laughs> back to a nice oligopoly. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to look for is the sectors that are uh, that are the other way around. And I, I thought I'd start first with maybe slightly different tack, but infrastructure is one that always catches my mind. In that, you know, the, the textbook version of these guys is that you've got a um, a steady, slow, growing company. Um, they've got regulated prices and all this type of stuff like that. So so these are the ones where you shouldn't see, you should see sort of 5%, 10% growth out of these companies every year. Now, Sydney Airports is up 1,463% um, over the last 15 <laughs> years in prices. Wow. Uh, APA is just under 1,000% over 15 years. Transurban's over 1,000%, but it took them 20 years to get there. So, you know, they're they dragging the chain a bit on that. Uh, AGL's up 740%, Origin's up 800%, and Spark, you know, well behind it at only 240% over 10 years. So, um, you know, and these are all the steady price-regulated companies. Now, they, we have seen falling interest rates. So, there's so slightly, you know, some of that price is because of that. But, yeah. but you don't make 1,000% returns unless you're capturing value that should be going to other people. And so, in my, I look at that sector and go, <laughs> is there anything on the, the radar that looks like, we're not going to be getting the, They're not going to keep getting the capture. And Transurban just announced recently a, another big deal to get another, you know, another roadway in Sydney. West, West Connects, yeah. yeah. So,
1: so in which sector will the music stop first? First is what I'm saying, <laughs> and I'm
2: saying in the infrastructure sector, I can't see any signs of it stopping. No, I can't. I can't
1: either, to be honest. My, I guess my general view is um, this is going to get worse from a social perspective before it gets better these groups will become more entrenched and more captured. And it's going to take a, you know, a fair bit of political fragmentation and, and agitation from the electorate before, uh, before we see any serious change. So, yeah. look, I, I don't, I so don't strike, see anything on the radar yeah. in the near future. I mean, you know, we have seen some slight changes in Queensland. Apparently, we're going to have a new government renewable energy um, supplier come in. Yeah. uh but I, you know that's pretty small beans in terms of uh what's going on elsewhere with the airports the roads yeah. transurban um you know it's just so easy for them um, uh, so many politicians would have a nest egg totally exposed to these se- sectors <laughs> and not yeah. and even uh you know can, not considering them personally but their networks of friends and associates are heavily invested in these. So it's very hard to turn around and say, "Hey, you know what I think we need to do? We need to facilitate some new entrants in these markets. Mm. How can we do that?" Yep. Then you've got to activate all these people whose, you know, whose own bank balance is on the line <laughs> to do this. Yeah. You know, um, so um, yeah. I, look, so I, I, think, I think I so think you've so got te- ten happy years um, until we have some real political change, yep. and I think it's a toss of the coin which one comes 1st there They'll they'll be there'll be a straw that breaks the camel's back, there'll be some project that is just such an obvious gift um, some politicians will be like, "No, that's a step too far." Some of those on the on the edge of the, the networks. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm sorry. I don't know. Look, I'm I'm investing for this. You know, I've got to, <laughs> this where I it, You
2: know, I, I think I'm completely with you on the on the on the philosophical side, but in the end, we're investing real money for people. Yeah, I guess
1: games. the question is, how much of those gains have factored in the expectation that this game is going to continue Keep in the going. future? Yeah. You know, that's the only. So, Thing you want to know? Are there sort of surprise new gifts coming? I have no idea. I suspect there will be. There there are people, you know, whose careers depend on working out how to give these mates more money.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mining then. So jumping, jumping a bit. So I sort of mining. I I treat miners a bit. You know, they're not. I don't think they really control their own future because so much of it depends upon the commodity prices. yeah Um, they can control their costs a bit, so they've got that side. But it seems to me as if the whole rut mining tax debacle means, we're a generation away from Yes,
1: totally it. agree with that okay. assessment. They, they've won that game for 25 years. Yeah. Um, the question I think in mining is how how many freebies in terms of rail ports and other sort of you know goods that traditionally the government was involved in provisioning, how yeah. many of them can they swindle? And that's a sort of specific miner opening up new areas. So yeah. in, in Queensland the debate's about the Galilee, how much will the, the yeah. government be chipping in for rail and and so on, and so for new deposits in new areas, mm. that's that's where the giveaway will be, uh, and certainly more politically connected companies will get it. I think the big yeah. guys will just plough on. They'll have a shot if they don't, you know, if they don't get a freebie, they will plough on and, and do we'll it Or something else. Yeah. yeah, I've got
0: I've got one just quickly on the um, just touching back on the book from the Great Transportation Game.
1: So just a little bit topical there. We
0: mentioned before with, um, Transurban, West Connects. Um, <coughs> so. Um, is, is we are talking just off air before, but the, uh, the East-West Link has risen from the dead. Uh, the Liberals have decided to um, throw some, uh, some magic potion on it and it's coming <laughs> it's back for East, the... East West, um, West Melbourne, we are talking about? Sorry, East West Link in Melbourne, that's yeah, right, yeah, there, sure. there in Victoria. It's uh, risen again as an alternative to Labour uh, and they've called theirs unimaginably the Northeast link um, in, <laughs> in November's upcoming state elections. So just a bit of background there. Um, I just noticed in the book you, you've done some you did some extensive research into all major road and rail infrastructure projects in Australia since 1992, I believe, That's with right. the help of Kathy Ahern. I'll, yep. I'll shout out there. Um, and so you revealed a number of accounting tricks that were being utilized to help James and his game of mates. Uh, privatise the benefits from toll roads and one of them being uh, a public-private partnership. Um, now if you like maybe just give that a quick um, explanation from your point of view but the, the the crux of the question was really that these things have, seem to be very commonly used. They're a good way, uh, as you mentioned in the book and I'll let people uh, check that out to find out more on, on the accounting side but in your view what what would be an alternative to a public-private partnership or how, how, do, how do we fix this then if um, this sort of uh, game of mates is, is going to be stemmed?
1: Sure. So the, the, the main accounting trick in the public-private partnership is to take um, obligations for the government off their books and not count it as a debt. Okay. So you essentially let the private part of the entity borrow money and then you just guarantee it. and Or or you borrow money but you package it into a separate entity and don't call it public debt. You know, that's the entity's debt. So it's it's really just... Uh, avoiding um, accounting for the cost. I mean, as a society, it costs what it costs in terms of the resources to build, build the road. And, and, the, and when we
0: say this, what sort of size debts are we talking with these typical public-private partnerships?
1: Uh, uh, look, historically, they're not as high. Ho- uh, you know, the ones we're talking about now of tens of billions—that's yep. that's off the charts historically. We're talking, you know, uh, hundreds of millions per per project throughout the 90s and early 2000s. It's just completely gone up in order of magnitude. And and that's partly because the newer projects are mostly tunnels and there are a lot more land uh, uh, acquisitions and, um, you know, the expectations of the qualities does improve over time in these things. Um, so, you know, off the top of my head, I think one of the Sydney Tunnel, there was a, there was a $350 million project um, Uh, guarantee of some debt that the the state government took on and uh, ten years later they just said oh and you guys don't have enough money we'll just take that loss now and write it off. you
0: know, It was
1: (laughs) not in the media it was just some you know a few people in the know kicked up a stink and you had to go and trawl through some documents and we're like where did that money disappear to? I know we just took the loss ten years later. I'm like but wasn't the whole point not to borrow the money in the first place? (laughs) so that's the problem, and the other—you know—that's that's not even the biggest cost to PPPs. One of the one of the biggest costs, when you think about the underlying utilization of resources, is building the less um, efficient new piece of infrastructure mm. because it's more profitable, yeah. Yeah. because there's more traffic and you can funnel people onto it. Yeah. You're not doing. You, there's a conflict between maximizing the throughput of the road network, taking roads in the city, and maximizing the profit of a person who owns one piece of that. Mm. So the big example I have in Brisbane is we have the Clem 7 tunnel. To maximize their profit, they put the toll up to $4.50. It started at $2, and I don't know what it is now. I don't use it. But essentially, we have a tunnel that's 10 or 15% capacity because no one wants to use it but that's what the profit maximizing price of the toll is. So it keeps everybody on the free public roads and we still have to go and expand those. What would be better from a total society perspective is to toll the above ground road and funnel everyone through the tunnel or regain that above ground space for buses, bikes and all the alternative modes of transport and put people in the tunnel but instead we have a three-quarters empty tunnel. And that, that cost, that economic cost to the city as a whole is much, much bigger than the sort of billion dollars we might have implicitly subsidised through some accounting tricks. Okay. And that's actually what Rod Sims came out last week and talked about. Um, that One of the things with, uh, we, we've entrenched this process of unsolicited proposals or market-led proposals where Transurban can come up and say, we think you guys need a road here. I'm like, well, why would they think that? Because they think they can funnel people on, right? Yeah. Okay, not because Usually it makes... because
2: ma- it's already a road there <laughs> and we're just going to put another one underneath. It turns out the road's quite popular, so... Uh, it's so, good why, yeah,
1: why don't you do that? Um, yeah. And so, you know, there's a big conflict between what they want to propose and what's good for the network as a whole. And so Rod Sims has come out and said, we shouldn't do this. We should have, you know, our own team of public traffic planners and stuff who look at what web development is and what people are doing and just... Tell us what the next most efficient thing to invest in is. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, that's that's the trick there with the PPPs.
3: Yeah, I'll also add that um, that part of this problem comes down to the vert- vertical fiscal imbalance between the feds and the states. So uh, you know, I often write about obviously running a big Australian mass immigration policy, and the feds love it because they gain most of the uh, most of the budget revenue, about eighty percent. But of course, the states are left picking up the cost, <coughs> and the states can't. Uh, can't obviously fund, well, have trouble funding this uh, on balance sheet. So they resort to these little tricky accounting tricks like the Westgate Tunnel, which uh, Transurban's done, which Transurban's going to build for about $5.6 billion. But, they're, um, but they get to toll, extend tolls on Link, and effectively get $15 billion in revenue. So it's a real dud deal for taxpayers. But again, this has come about because we've got this growing population. The feds are collecting the revenue. The feds won't fund the infrastructure. They're pushing on to the states, and then the states are doing all these tricky little accounting tricks. But obviously, we all we all lose overall.
2: Can I, right, Jim? I just flip back to the investment. If that's all right. Yeah, just to, sure. yeah With a couple yeah. of the others, because yeah. yeah, we've got a few others that want to. So the energy sector, <clears throat> I sort of, I, I think I'm showing these guys some respect. Like they went through this PRRT, which is pretty complicated. Looked pretty good at 100 oil, but they're not paying anything on it now. Um, <laughs> they managed to get away with no reservation on the east coast. They've got. They've managed to get. Uh, international pricing which they're charging all up and down the the thing that seemed like the the guys who have it all i guess so i guess and maybe have they gone a step too far this is my question for, for the energy sector is i mean i, I don't think morrison's serious about a a, uh, a an energy review but you know that the question is have have they taken a step too far in that energy sector that now they're actually going to have to
1: front up uh, perhaps i mean they will go too far at some point yeah you know this is you know, there, there are good things have been, being in a rich democracy when when you get pushed too far and particular industries are really dominating you know we, we can push back through various means so look um i, I don't th- think it's going to be just yet or in the immediate future just look at what the banks get away with mm-hmm. and we've had this royal commission and i think the general expectation is there's going to be minimal change no one's going to be in jail uh was, yeah. and uh, you know this is this is many billions of dollars. You can look at the superannuation sector. There's essentially no political motivation mm. to crack down. I mean, we the fees it. in super, thirty billion a year. It's just just for people to stick money in, you know, index funds or whatever they do. It's yeah. it's off the charts. Nukus is
2: launching our super fund quite shortly. But uh, we'll uh, say we're on the other side of that. But, but. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be upfront in, in terms of that. But we're complete. I guess what I want to say is we completely agree. To wait, it's it, to take something so complex as super and say to people with no economic knowledge, here you go, put away nine and a half percent of your money, and then we're going to you're going to have to make the most complicated financial decision you can possibly do. And by the way, if you if you stuff up, that's it for your retirement. Is crazy for the, the vast majority yeah, of people. I mean, I people totally... can't be bothered to do their phone or their the electricity contract. Why would they?
1: Okay, Let's just let me give you an example. <clears throat> My parents have to come and visit me to download an app on their phone, and they're supposed to you know, have half a million dollars mm. with some professional financial salesman mm. for their whole life. I mean, it's it's absurd. I mean, people, people can't even compare electricity bills. Mm. Yeah. I'm an economist. Mm. I don't even know which um, superannuation accounts best. You, you I've got a PhD <laughs> in economics, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's actually, I mean, you yeah. know, financial markets should be for sophisticated investors who want to make investment decisions and raise capital. They shouldn't be tools for um, distributing wealth in a way that can be done. I mean the pension systems manage for some phenomenally small percentage of the, the, um, the, the dollar value given out. It's like 0.01% and the superannuation systems manage for 1.2% on average of the two trillion imbalance. I mean that's like yeah, that's 12 times or more, 120 times more expensive. It's, it's off the charts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Look, as I said, we're we're in the same industry, so. Uh, but but, um, yeah, very much sort of have that same belief. Just just talking to people like Tim spends all day talking to um, investors, and the number of people who um, clearly have no idea about what they're talking about, and are just looking for help, and you just say, well, we sort of feel we're trying to do the right thing by people, but you could easily see how people not doing the right thing, you know, shiny this, we'll give you a bottle of wine here and we'll nice. take it to the cricket over there and next thing you know, you're, you're bundled into some huge fee paying <laughs> machine. And I, and I think another thing too is like, because obviously we're, we're starting out quite small, right? So
0: the cost, the cost for us versus the amount of money that we're investing is, is, is quite a big gap, right? Where I can't, what I can't fathom is that when you're looking at the everyday super account, which has tens or hundreds of billions of dollars in it, and we're nearly the same price as them. They might be a, a little bit cheaper no, no, <laughs> I, and the amount no. of income that they're getting and the, the way they run no. their fund. And we know, and anyone that's smart knows that runs you know that invest money knows that typically it costs, you know, it doesn't cost that much more to the ten million, hundred million, yeah. you know, or a billion dollars, and yet um, they're, 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 they can price themselves at such but a the cost. sales the sales
3: cost more. The sales cost uh, and the uh, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, the marketing cost more, but yeah. But the empirical data actually shows us as Australia's super pools exploded, the fees have barely moved. Yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, this is just pure cream, that's been creamed.
1: Yeah. Look, there's, there's an interesting discussion happening in economics about these captured markets. Can you be a non-sumer, a non-consumer of a product? Because if you can't be, then you really don't have that, that um, freedom, freedom <laughs> or that consumer choice that we assume in our economic models, and this is the problem with super. I have no issue with people saving money and investing it and getting advice and paying fees. It's, but forcing everyone to do it with a massive share of their salary, when we can't seem yeah. to get wage growth anywhere, and now we're going to tell people perhaps, mm. oh, chuck another three percent of your wage here and don't touch it for forty years. Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous. And,
3: and, and the other problem is um, people are forced to save into this for something that's going to, you know, for a retirement event that's say forty years away. So yeah. people discount it straight away and they don't, they don't, they don't, um, you know, worry about an extra one percent in fees because it's so far, so long away. I,
1: I never did until last week. And now I've sat down with my wife and we're like, oh, let's check our super. What are we going to do? Uh, mm. You know, I, I, I look at this stuff every day and I still hadn't bothered yet. Mm. My working assumption was I'll never get this money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who cares? Like, you know, there's another third. Years away. Yeah, you know, the system could change, you know, the next trade war, the next whatever. Yep. Um, the financial thing system could radically change. Um there's, there's no guarantee I'll get it back. Why would I bother? Yeah. You know, making decisions like yeah. when I go and choose a car to mm-hmm. buy, I make do my research and make a decision. Yeah, because uh, I do it today.
2: So, so for me, I've got a slightly different tint to you guys. Is that I still think that people should be should be saving the money, but it should be, there should be a default cheap option run centrally yeah. that you can sort of go that gets you a, a pension plus payment or whatever yeah. it is. But he's basically saying you need a you need a no brainer product and that's managed centrally that's safe and all that type of stuff. So that's so that what I propose in the book, you know. Um,
1: the Danes yeah. have it. Um, lots, of, lots of European countries have a default saving fund, right? Yeah. Um, but my, I personally would say we can go further and say, well, why bother? Because you can't save really macroeconomically. <laughs> We're just... Yeah taking someone who's working their money and then the system gives other people who are selling those assets that they'd previously saved to the person people who are currently saving. Yeah. You know, It's a very convoluted financial scheme to essentially redistribute money that we yeah. do all the time through and the tax and transfer system.
2: And in the end, we just, I think we all just want to reduce the amount that goes into sales in this area. And
1: oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's agree on that. Yeah. You can wipe a percent off, a percent of $2 trillion, by the way. Yeah. What, what's that? $20 uh, billion. Yeah. Every what? single year. Every single year, yeah,
2: and but so coming out of the coming out of the um banking commission. So, I mean, I, I think there'll be a few knuckles racked, but it does it does seem as if 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 you showed up to the uh the royal commission contrite and said, "Oh yes, we did this, we stole, we did whatever, but we're really sorry about it," you, you got away with it. Whereas if you turned up a bit a bit argumentative, you're in trouble. Seem to be the I don't, I don't know whether. It, you've seen anything that uh, i haven't noticed
1: it like that
2: anything that you've, you've seen that suggests that there's going to be major major um repercussions for no,
1: things things change when uh when it affects rich well connected people <laughs> <laughs> um so you know political connected mates can get away with it but if there's enough of their mates who're feeling the pinch am might- i second guess what's going on, yeah, hang on a minute, is this really what want to do? Because I'm actually paying this super fee as well, right? Um, I'm, I'm not getting that super fee. And so, you know, there are these tipping points when mm. I think uh, the right influential groups feel the pinch and then all that um, pent up frustration of the community comes out and you've got the heads of the government departments, all those key political players going, all right, let's actually take some action. Uh, it's it's you know it's a real tricky thing. You can't put your mates in prison. Yeah. Uh, if you know if you're a lot yeah, of the financial yeah. regulators are you know ba- previously bankers and vice versa. Yeah. Um, but but there will be a tipping point, and, and I'm you know I'm pretty confident in general. Although my book is, yeah, we are at a at a Brunswick pub here, aren't we? <laughs> that
0: sounds like your groupies have turned up, Cameron. Yeah. So look, I, I'm yeah. pretty
1: confident that. Um, we have the capacity to, to change things when we reach that critical mass. Um, it's just, you know, which sector is it going to reach that tipping point next?
2: Yeah, and the one the one I wanted to finish with is probably if we haven't got time to explore properly, but, you know, I know in the property development area, if you run through, so we, we do global investments, so I run through, always running through different companies, and if you look, uh, okay, well, let me look at property developers globally, uh, they're in Hong Kong, they're in Japan, you find some Australian ones, a couple of Canadian ones, hardly any US at all. And you sort of go, well, is it the countries where you need to be politically correct connected that you get the a lot of these, you know, you get to be a big property developer because you're, you're making those. But I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is we've got a, a, a prime minister now who's come from a, a property um, a lobbyist background and yeah. property, property prices are certainly sliding. Um, and so is he going to throw a bit more at the... Uh, the at the whole property market and what's the most likely in your view that sort of over the next little while that's to Higgins, you know, what's another, a finger in the dike of the, the, the rapidly leaking wall that's the property market?
1: Yeah, look, I, I expect I expect there to be more first homeowners grants of yeah. the magnitude we've never seen before. Tapping um, your there, super. They'll uh, be, yep, they'll uh, be tapping your super. The, you know, the turnover has been quite low, you know, recently and so there will be this pent-up people who've been delaying buying First homeowners and whatnot so there are people waiting and it's whatever they can find to get them off the sidelines um, soon look yeah I, ex- I expect any all that sort of stuff to happen um, the first homeowners' grant superannuation well, I don't know what else but they'll be creative uh, so yeah um, my outlook for property yeah maybe it'll be uh, you know there'll be a political um, catching mitt under the Sydney property market uh, before too soon and we'll see how effective that is. That really depends on how many people they can tempt in. I suspect and it's whether f- they
2: wait too late. In my mind, are you, if, yeah, you to, if there's enough momentum, downward momentum, I agree. Go, I don't care about the first time anymore. go more, it's fallen ten percent or fifteen like percent? That. I don't. That's right. Know what's going on? Well, on it's going to
1: price will fall by my grant in the next six months, right? But, so yeah. yeah, it would have to be a massive grant. I, I, I suspect to, to stop that accelerating decline.
3: Well, remember there already is a kind of grant in with the uh, stamp duty concessions that came in July one last year. So um, you know, Melbourne and city prices would probably be falling a bit f- bit faster than they are.
0: Anyway. Okay, very good. So look on that note, we uh, we might finish up. Thank you very much for uh, your time today. Thanks all, for having me. All the best, Cameron, uh, with the unspoken alternatives uh, for expen- expensive housing and I uh, look forward to checking that out. And also uh, for anyone interested uh, go and check out the uh, Game of Mates uh, book. It's out on Amazon. You can hit, uh, it's gameofmates.com, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: you can find it very easily online. So he-
0: head on over there um, and check that out. And uh, thanks again for coming along. Enjoy Melbourne and uh, enjoy your show tonight at Prosper.
1: Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks.
0: Nucleus Wealth and the Macro Business Fund was put together to help give you access to quality, well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically-minded asset allocation. We use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to these everyday investors. We do this by using separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency in what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio, which is managed by us. We have partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of assets. We feel that this structure is the gold standard for your financial protection. In addition to this, we offer 19 separate and individual ethical screens that you can use to help tailor your investment to ensure that your money is not being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. By eliminating the areas that are only important to you, you keep the potential for higher returning areas that you might otherwise be ambivalent about. And these would typically be ruled out in broader ethical products currently available in the market. The name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide the core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them the time to explore areas that may be of interest, or they may have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets, and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of middlemen that typically sit between your money and the markets, we've been able to reduce fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. For more information on what we can do for you, please call one 623 863 or contact us through www.nucleuswealth.com.